Hey, thank you so much for listening to Behind the Line. This is the Sunday message. We hope that this message builds your faith and fills your cup. Now let's get ready for the word. What's up? How's everybody doing? Good morning. Good morning. We are in week five of an eight-week series called Real Talk. We're looking at the first three chapters of Revelation. You can always go back online if you haven't been here for a week and you want to get caught up and get caught up on all of our messages. I'm going to start with a question. It's a rhetorical question. You do not have to respond to me, but here's the question. What's the worst instruction or let's say the worst advice you've ever been given? And did you listen to it? Now, for me, as I was thinking about this this week, a few things jumped into my head. I remember when I was a kid, I had a knit blankie. And you know how when you're a kid, you got your things, right? You got your toys or your stuffed animals or your special blankie. Well, I had a knit blankie that I really liked, and my brother wanted my blankie. And me, being the kind, generous soul that I am, agreed that I would share it with him after he convinced me that we could simply cut it in half. You're already ahead of me here. So we cut the knit blankie in half, and those two knit blankies became two piles of yarn, right? And so I was left without a blankie. I remember as about a freshman in high school, I had somebody tell me once that I'd look good with a perm. I'll tell you right now, when you're 14 and going through that awkward phase, you do not look good with the perm. I look like I had a head full of steel wool. As a matter of fact, I went on a week-long retreat, uh, my very first like summer week-long camp at a Christian church, and there was a group of girls, because you know, that's what young Christian boys are into. I was like, all right, I got to impress these girls. And they're like, you should highlight your hair. We brought this thing called sun in. So I'd spray this, you spray this in your hair. By the end of the week, I look like an orange highlighter. Needless to say, I was not impressing the girls, but maybe the worst advice that I listened to was something that to this day, I still feel the ramifications for listening to this advice. This was about 15 or so years ago. I was playing in a pickup game of soccer and the guy who had a ball came and he made his move and I tried to make my move to stay with him and I felt something give out in my knee. I collapse to the ground. I'm in pain. I limp off to the sidelines and everybody at the sidelines is like, come on suck it up. You're fine. Right? They're giving me the whole rub some dirt on it. And they're like, you just got to run it off. You'll be fine. No one touched you. You just got to run it off. And isn't it funny, by the way, that the advice cliches that we give people, like it sounds really good, like rub some dirt on it, or you have to just run it off, but they're really, really dumb. <laughs> like, they're not helpful at all. It's like, winners never quit. Yes, they do. They quit all the things that losers do, right? They quit lots of things or do what you love and the money will follow. I like to sit on my couch. I love that. And I like to eat sunflower seeds. I haven't figured out how to monetize it yet, right? So like sometimes these things don't really work out. So anyways, I'm shamed by my friends to get back out there. And I figured, okay, I'll just play goalie. No one's going to touch me if I play goalie. I can just jump to one side or the other and stop the ball. Except whenever you have a pickup game post high school, there's always that one guy who still thinks he's going to like make it to state right? You always got that one guy. It's that guy who's still in the glory days, like think that they can compete at like the ultimate level. They're always wearing like way too tight of shorts, the tank top, the headband, the crew neck or the crew like socks up to their knees. Well, that guy, he was the Tasmanian devil out there and he runs up on me. And for whatever, which reason, I don't know why he runs straight into me. And as he did, I felt my knee pop. And so now I'm done. I walk over to the sidelines I'll tell you the rest of the story here. You already know where this is going, but I tore my ACL, tore my meniscus, and ended up having two surgeries on my knee. And still to this day, 15 years later, my meniscus is still torn. I do not want to have a third knee surgery, so I'm just dealing with it. But I feel the ramifications of that bad advice to just get back out there to this day. And I'm sure many of you have been told some bad advice, and now as I've 
thought about it. Maybe you're the Rolodex of your mind has pulled something up where you're like, yep, that was something I shouldn't have done. Somebody I shouldn't have listened to. Maybe you were told to max out that credit card. You're like, ooh, it's just free money, right? And you're like, I'm still paying that back many years later. Maybe you were told to invest in something that maybe you shouldn't have. You're like, Kodak's gonna make a comeback, man. Put all their money in the Kodak. Or you sold something prematurely. You're like, I think this Apple thing's not gonna pan out, right? And you sell. Or maybe you were told that the major in college didn't matter. And you went to school and spent a lot of money to go to school and you have that wildlife art history dance degree. And you're like, I am unemployed with this wildlife art history dance degree. Not really sure what I'm going to do with this, but I'm paying for it, right? Well, Jimmy Fallon, he does this bit where he had asked people on Twitter using the hashtag badvice to share some of the worst advice that they had got. So let me read a couple of them to you. This is from Kelly Gator. She said, I bought a car that smelled like cigarettes and was told vinegar would fix it. Now my car just smells like pickled cigarettes. That's disgusting. All right, the next one is from uh, Brit Roadhouse, I think is the hashtag or the name. It says, I was told to sprinkle baby powder on my sheets to freshen them up. I woke up looking like a powdered donut. (laughs) The next one's from Sean Gett. My grandpa once told me not to use my blinker when driving because it's no one's business where you're going. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like something your grandpa would say? Right? Don't let the man hold you down. You do, you go out there like, right, no one needs to know what you're up to. Okay, thanks, Grandpa. Chelsea Bun Bun, you'll see that this name's very appropriate here, said, My dad told me, if you have a bad cough, cough take a laxative. Then you'll be afraid to cough. <laughs> yeah, I think you would. Uh, to Omar SC1, that sounds like a Star Wars name, like I am a droid, but anyway, said, When someone had a cold, my grandma used to tell them to drink tequila because either you'll lose the cold or you'll forget about it. And some of you are like, that's actually good advice. I'm going to try that. (laughs) That's all right. No judgment here. All right. Michael Williams, 24. Last one. Guy at work tried to give me marriage advice and finished with, trust me, I've been married three times. Which, once again, no judgment if that's you, but maybe you just don't lead with that as your qualifier as to why you are a marriage expert. So have you ever noticed, too, that the ones who love to give advice are probably the ones who shouldn't be giving the advice? Like, you always have that crazy uncle who is, like, unemployed, still lives in, like, your family basement, and they're the ones who are always looking to pass out the advice. Well, there is a common theme with bad advice, and it involves listening to the wrong person. And if you're fortunate, listening to the wrong person or bad advice will only lead to a temporary problem, like being covered with powdered sugar. You can take a shower and wash that off and you're as good as new. But sometimes you can listen to someone's bad advice, run with the wrong crowd, get caught up in something, and it turns into what Jimmy Fallon said, maybe a bad vice, where something in your life begins to get wrecked because of some of the advice that you had been listening to. Sophocles, he's the famous Greek playwright. He was known for writing tragedy, said, no enemy is worse than bad advice. And maybe he was inspired to write all of these tragedies because he saw so many people listening to bad advice that turned into bad advice and thus wrecked their life. And we see this theme really throughout the Bible through a bunch of different passages. Let me just read a few verses to you. Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous choose their friends carefully but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in 
trouble. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, the apostle Paul says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And so you see there's, there's a theme here. If you listen to bad advice or you have a bad group of friends that influences you in a negative way, if you keep bad company, at some point it will lead you astray. It will lead you towards trouble. It will lead you down a path maybe you didn't intend to go. And worst case scenario, it corrupts a part of your character. It corrupts your moral belief system. It's that old adage, sin always has a way of taking you farther than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and sin will cause you to do things you never would imagine you've done. And when you go down that path, you'd say, how? How did I end up here? And many times you can look back and maybe see some bad information, some bad advice, the pull of culture, bad influences, that helped lead you down the path that you went. And it's this idea that frames Jesus' real talk this week as we're looking at his letters to seven real churches in the book of Revelation. We're going to dive in now, which is the fourth church that we're looking at. This is Revelation 2, 18, Jesus speaking. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Let me stop here for a second. We have our fourth letter. This is our fourth congregation. It's a city called Thyatira. You can look at the map here. This is a map of Asia Minor, the, Greek, uh, the Roman province of Asia at this time. And Jesus is writing these letters, addressing these letters to the churches. We're moving clockwise. We started with Ephesus. We had Smyrna, Pergamum last week, and now we're at Thyatira. And what's interesting about Thyatira is it was known as a manufacturing city. And historically, of all the cities that are mentioned here, the cities that you see on this map, it was probably the least significant city. This would be like Jesus writing the letter to Freeport. It's like, hey, Freeport, here you go. Here's your letter. And you're like, why? Why would you write us a letter? No one cares about us. We're the pretzels, right? Nobody cares. But he's like, no, I mean, I care. Here's your letter. And so this is kind of that idea of what this city is. It was the smallest city of all the cities that he writes letters to, but it's interestingly the longest letter. And we see in each letter that we see like the congregation that it's written to, there's always a pattern that follows. And Christ always gives us a characteristic about himself. And so here he refers to himself as the son of God, the son of God. And this is intentional because Thyatira had a statue that they took great pride in in the center of the city of Apollo. Apollo was the son of Zeus. Zeus was the main God. So Apollo was the son of God. He was also the sun God of the sun, the burning ball of fire in the sky. And so that was Apollo. And so Jesus, when he refers to himself as the son of God, he's making sure the people understand, no, 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 you, you have this statue in the middle of your city that you guys take pride in, but the real son of God, who happens to have two sons in his eyes, eyes of fire, is the real God. And then he talks about his feet being like burnished bronze. And this is kind of a call to the fact that they are a manufacturing city. And one of the things that Thyatira was known for was that they had a lot of trade guilds, a lot of trade guilds. Think in today's modern context, like a union. They had guilds for leather workers, potters, brass guilds, copper guilds, gold guilds, fabric guilds. Uh, In Acts chapter 16, we see the very first convert in the city of Thyatira. It was a woman by the name of Lydia. And you can go and read her story in Acts chapter 16. And what's interesting is that it mentions Lydia. They says that she is a dealer in purple cloth. She is a a dealer in purple clothing. Uh, Some people maybe believe she was part of somebody who would dye clothing, right? But you see that she's working in a trade. 
She has a, a manufacturing sales type job that's associated with a product that they're producing. And one of the things that was unique at this time about the trade guilds is that they all had a god, a, 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 an idol that was associated with them. And the belief was if we we take this God and we worship this God and believe in this God. This God will bless our business. This God will, will make sure that we're profitable. This God will take care of us. This God will get us business. This God will give us favor. Now, hold on to that thought because this factors in to Jesus' letter here. And the next thing we see in each of his letters, so you, you see the congregation, you see Jesus talk about himself, and then you see his, his assessment of the condition of the church. And so as he first assesses the condition of the church in Thyatira, we actually see that he celebrates the fact that they're a growing community, that they're a growing group of believers. So verse 19, Jesus says, I know your deeds your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are doing more, you are now doing more than you did at first. And so what he says is, you guys are doing good stuff, right? You're showing love, you're showing, you're showing off faith, you're serving each other, you're, you're serving the community, you're persevering. And, and what's interesting is, you, is that Jesus sees this, right? He knows, he knows what we do and he's acknowledging the good that they're doing. And the way he acknowledges it is by saying, you're doing more now than you did at first, which is to say the things you are doing now are better than when you first believed. And this is kind of the opposite of the church in Ephesus. So the very first letter we looked at, Jesus was kind of commanding and condemning the church in Ephesus because they had forgotten their first love. They had forgotten their first deeds. They had kind of strayed away from that. And so you see kind of the opposite here, which is the things they're doing now are better than what they did at first. And wouldn't that be, to a certain degree, something good for all of us sometimes to stop and acknowledge as we think about our spiritual journey and our spiritual growth is that we're growing <laughs> that we are progressing. I think sometimes it's so easy to get down on ourselves. We're doing good works and we're doing deeds and we're trying hard to be a good Christian. And we're like, ah, but I'm not there yet. But we should celebrate the fact that maybe, yes, we're not where we want to be, but we're not where we used to be, right? That there has been progress. Yes, we're not perfect, but progress is the key component of the spiritual journey. And so Jesus is celebrating their progress here. And what's interesting, though, is he continues his assessment of the condition of the church. He, he sees something that could hijack, interrupt the growth process. And chances are, when you think about your own spiritual journey and your growth, many times there could be something that stops your growth. Or should I say, maybe many times there could be someone who impacts your growth, that there could be someone that's in the way. And we see for the church in Thyatira, for them to continue to grow, they have a, a glaring issue that needs to be addressed. There is someone in the church family, someone in the congregation who's holding them back. This is a person of great influence in the church. And not only is this person holding them back, if they allow this person to continue to spread their bad advice, if they allow this person to continue to be a bad influence on the church, we see that it'll lead them astray down a path that ultimately they don't want to go. And so we're going to jump in. I'm going to read the rest of the letter here. It's a little bit lengthy, so track along with me, and then we'll unpack it here afterwards. So Revelation 2, verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, 
By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. He's being sarcastic there. He's saying her secrets are like so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious, now we see Jesus give the crown, right? This is part of the letter. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. So there's a lot happening in this passage of scripture. But there's a central character here, and it begs the question when you look at this passage, who is Jezebel? And what is it that she's doing, right? Like, what's happening that this woman is doing whatever she's doing that has caused Jesus to write this note? Because it seems pretty serious and pretty intense. Now, some speculate that Jesus was referring to an idea. Uh, If you've ever heard, if you've been around church circles for a while, maybe you've heard the term the spirit of Jezebel. Uh, Some people believe he was talking to maybe like a spirit that was impacting the church. But if you look at the context and and read it with that in mind, you understand that Jesus is actually talking about a real person in the church. And this was a real person who claimed to be a prophet. That's a fancy word for someone who claimed to speak on behalf of God. And the nature of her teaching and what she's claiming on behalf of God and why her teaching was so misleading is she was claiming that people could go into sexual immorality and it was okay for them to eat food that was sacrificed to idols. Now you'd say, whoa, whoa, whoa. how would that happen in a church? Right? How could somebody walk into a church and convince them that it's okay to enter into open sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols? Now, once again, context matters. You have to understand this letter the same way they would understand it in the context in which it was written. Understand the context of the city and the culture at the time. So like I said earlier, this city was known for its trade guilds which means multiple people throughout the city, maybe a majority of people worked in one of these trades. They worked in manufacturing or they were associated with one of these trade guilds, even the Christians within the community. But these these trade guilds were connected to gods. They were connected to idols. So what they would do when they would gather to get favor as a part of them believing that this was going to be a blessing towards their, their business is they would have feasts where they would sacrifice animals. And they would sacrifice these animals to idols or to the gods. And then afterwards, they would celebrate by eating the animals that they had sacrificed. Or they'd have meetings where sexual immorality was very common. And they would do this in worship to whatever deity that they were worshiping at the time. So think about going to a meeting, right? Going to one of these trade guilds meetings. How's that for an agenda item, right? You know, we're going to get together. We're going to look at finance. And we're going to look at our jobs that we have coming up. And we're going to look, talk about some HR policies. Oh, and then we're going to end with sex. Like, what? Right? But that's what was common in this culture. So now think about being a Christian. 
You're a Christian in Thyatira. You're trying to, you're a, you're a cloth worker. You're just trying to do your job. But you go to these meetings, and this is kind of the culture and the atmosphere of what's happening at these meetings. And you know you're not supposed to worship idols. And you don't believe in false gods. You believe in one true God. And you don't want to eat meat that was sacrificed to these idols, idols, right? And just because you work in the trades doesn't mean you want to trade your body, right? You're trying to make clothes, not take the clothes off, right? So it's like, no, like, I'm trying to follow Jesus here. And if one didn't participate, you'd have to understand the ramifications. There would be cultural implications and economic ones. This would be, once again, put it in a modern context. This would be like you being a part of a union and then just not paying your union dues, right? Refusing to pay your union dues, what would that mean? That would mean you're out of the union, right? It means you're not a part. You're not a team player. You're not participating. You're not doing what it means to be a part of this group. And so in this context, to not participate in these meetings where this stuff was happening, you'd be an outcast, right? Once again, you'd, you wouldn't be considered a team player. And worst case scenario, you wouldn't get a job. Like they wouldn't offer you work. So now you can't make any money. So now enter this Jezebel. And what she is teaching in the church is that it's okay to participate in these meetings, that it's acceptable because you got to have a job, right? And so it's okay. It's no big deal. And so she claims to have this secret revelation, Satan's so-called secrets. She's speaking on behalf of God, and she's saying, trust me, go to the meetings, have the job, do participate in whatever you have to participate in. And it's like, you don't mean it, and God's okay with it, because God understands. God doesn't really care. And so now Jesus is writing this letter to say, I care. Like, this isn't okay. Like, this isn't like what I went to the cross for. This isn't what I expect of my followers and my believers. And to show how much Jesus cares, he refers to her as Jezebel. Now, you, you have to understand that even though she was a real person, this probably was not her real name. What Jesus is doing is a callback to something that everybody would be very familiar to. In, a, in our context, it would be like Jesus calling them Hitler. Right? If, if Jesus wrote us a letter and he called this person Hitler, we would all be like, oh, that's a bad dude, right? And so chances are her name wasn't really Jezebel. It's not like they were naming babies Jezebel like back then, just like you didn't name your kid. Here's Timmy and Susie and little Adolf. <laughs> right? You wouldn't do that. You'd be like, oh, little Adolf, isn't he cute? No, because we all know what's associated with that name. Just like everybody back then would know What's associated with that name? And you say, okay, well, what's associated with that name? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. In 1 Kings chapter 16, we are introduced to Jezebel. She was a real person in the Old Testament. She was married to the uh, king of northern Israel. His name was Ahab. Ahab's job as the king of Israel is to lead the people, right? Lead them into prosperity, defend his people, be a just king. But ultimately, if you were the God of Israel, your job was to make sure people kept Yahweh the one true God as the center, the focal point of your life. Well, he marries a Phoenician princess by the name of Jezebel, Baal, Baal, right? Jezebel, Baal, which was a bunch of, you'll see that term, B-A-A-L, all throughout the Old Testament. And this was a false god, a Canaanite god. This was a god that people would worship. It was an idol, and she was from a land that made this their primary source of worship. And instead of her turning from her ways, instead she influenced everybody else to turn from theirs. She was a bad influence. She gave bad advice. She had her false prophets. And so idol worship became rampant all throughout 
Israel. Not to mention that if you read about her, and you can go and read this, don't have time to unpack it all, she's very evil. She murdered a bunch of people. She's just a bad lady. And this is where we get introduced in the Old Testament to a very famous prophet by the name of Elijah. Elijah is the prophet who came on behalf of God to challenge Ahab and the nation of Israel to turn from their evil ways. And you see this, basically this contest between the prophets of Baal versus the one true God, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Once you can go read it, it's super awesome. But what Elijah is trying to do in essence, it's the same thing that Jesus is doing in this letter. Elijah went to warn them. He went to warn Israel. He said, guys, if you keep following these false gods, you keep going down this path, not only is it leading you farther and farther away from Yahweh, not only leading you farther and farther astray, but it will ultimately lead you to death. And catch this. I think this is so important. I want you to notice Jesus in this letter, I don't know if you caught this. Did you catch that he tried to get her to repent? It says that he tried to get her to repent and she was unwilling. Even Jezebel, who's in the church leading people away, and what's Jesus' first inclination? To offer mercy, right? He always, his first step towards us is always mercy. He, he always is trying to get us to turn from things that would either cause destruction for us or around us. And so he leans in with mercy but the Bible narrative tells us she didn't listen. So we don't know what the nature of that looked like, how that all played out. We just know she didn't listen. And so now instead, Jesus is now kind of shifting his focus to the congregation, to the church, and he's warning them. He's like, guys, listen, she didn't listen, but please, will you listen to me? Because if you keep following her ways, it's gonna lead to a life of sorrow. It's gonna bring suffering. And he says, her children will die. Now, in the Old Testament, Jezebel's false prophets actually did die, and Jezebel herself died a pretty gruesome death. But I don't think, understanding the context of what's happening here, that Jesus is literally saying, I'm going to kill her and kill her children. Children is, once again, now he's getting figurative. The children here would be those that follow her ways. To follow her ways would be to be a child of her teaching to be a child of her advice, to be a child of her influence. So he's using very strong illustrative language here as a caution that to be a child of her teaching will lead to death. To be a child of her ways, a follower of her ways, it will lead to suffering because she's giving you really, really bad advice. And ultimately, it will lead you away not only from God's will for your life, but ultimately, it will lead you away from God himself. And what Jesus is doing here is reminding us of a, a spiritual truth that's so important. And we see this truth in Galatians 6. But what he's saying is you can't sow seeds of sin and expect to reap a harvest of life. You can't sow seeds of sin and expect to reap a harvest of life. If you make bad choices, if you push the limits, you run with the wrong crowd, it may seem fun at first, may seem like good times, but at some point, you will reap what you sow. Bad begets bad. And so pain will come and sorrow will come or suffering will come from all of these bad choices that you made. Death will come, right? From all of these bad choices. And what he's saying is when that sorrow comes, you can't be shocked. Like, oh, how did this happen? 
where did all this sorrow? I don't understand. He's like, what do you mean you don't understand? I warned you that you can't reap, right? Or you're going to reap what you sow. You can't sow seeds of sin and reap life. If you roll around in the mud, you're going to get dirty. And he told you you would. You were warned, just like your parents probably warned you as a kid. Don't hang out with those people. You don't go there, right? You don't do that. And worst case scenario, you see what Jesus is telling us is if you keep doing what you know you shouldn't because of the influence of others or whatever's influencing you in a negative way, the pulls of culture, right? Whatever that is, it will lead to death. Now, maybe not a literal death, but maybe death to a relationship, maybe death to a dream, maybe death to a job or a career, because you ended up doing something you know you shouldn't have, right? Just one little lie or whatever it was, and it caught up to you. Or ultimately, the worst death of all, the death of a soul. You know, I was reading this week, I came across a story about Mark Twain. You know Mark Twain, he wrote Huckleberry Finn, famous author, and he was not a Christian and married a girl who grew up in the church and, and uh, he mocked, was open in terms of mocking Christianity and her faith. And then they went through some hard times. And when they went through some hard times, Mark said to his wife at the time, he said, hey, you know what? I'm sorry for making fun of Christianity. If you need to lean on your faith, I encourage you to do so. And she said to him, I would love to, except I have no faith left. Like at that point, her soul, something had happened where she had lost a part of her soul. And famously, I, from what I read, Mark Twain always felt guilty about that, for taking that away from her. But when something dies inside of us, right? Once again, maybe not a literal death, but a dream or a goal or a relationship or parts of our soul. We always think, how did I get here? Why did I listen to that person? And so now you can see why Jesus is saying, listen to me, be warned, listen to my voice over any other voice, because I am the one who truly has your best interest in mind. And Jesus does have our best interest in mind. He doesn't tell us things because he's trying to take from us. He's a giver. He's trying to give life. His instructions lead to the path of life. And if you look at the text closely, Jesus tells us exactly where the church was going wrong. Look at this phrase. It says, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. That's the operative term there. You tolerate. So let me ask you a question. Who are the voices that you tolerate? Who are the voices that influence you? Who are the people that you take advice from? Are they people that point you towards God or do they make you question God? Is it culture, the voice of culture over the voice of God? Is it social media and what you see there over the voice of God? Is it your old high school friends that you can't get away from? And it's their voice instead of the voice of God. And as you're listening to their voices, tolerating their voices in your life, is it bring life out of you? Or do you see toxic fruit that's coming from having them in your life? Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't love others. We know central to the Christian command, we are to love the Lord your God with all your soul, your mind, your heart, and your strength. And we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That's what it means to be a Christ follower as we're breathing air right now on this planet. That's our central mission, coupled with a secondary mission, which is to go into the world and share the good news of what Christ has done with us, with everyone, which means that would be non-Christian people, lost people. So also part of our mission is not only to love, but to go into the world and share the 
good news with those who are lost. And if you look at Jesus, what did Jesus do? Well, he had his tribe. He had his people that he ran with. Obviously, he had family and friends and all of that. But he was known as a friend with sinners. This is why the religious elite did not like Jesus. He was a friend with sinners. He hung out with them. The Bible says he was even friends with notorious sinners. But here's what you never see from Jesus throughout the scriptures. You don't see Jesus belly up at the bar with a guy named Carl, right? And Carl's like, man, Jesus, your dad. He's pretty hard sometimes, man. Some of the things you talk about with your dad, he's, I don't know, man. He's telling you, you got to die. Your dad is crazy, man. I wouldn't listen to your dad. I would just do, you're Jesus, man. You could, I've seen your first miracle. You turn water into wine. You could own this bar if you wanted to, man. You could do whatever you wanted to do, Jesus. You don't have to listen to your dad. You should just chase after your own dreams. You should do you, Jesus, because your dad, he's a little intense, man. I think you should get away from him. And Jesus is like, you know what, Carl? You're right. My dad is a little crazy. My dad's a little too intense. I should stop listening to my dad. Carl, you and I are going to go into business together, right? Carl, you're the best friend in the whole world, right? You don't see that. As a matter of fact, when Peter confronts Jesus, so there's a, a famous story in the, in the Gospels where Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, guys, I just want you to know I'm going to have to die. And what's Peter do? He hears this and he says, no way, Jesus, you're not going to die. Peter is now Carl, right? He's no way. You're Jesus. You don't have to die. You can do whatever you want to do. You're the God of the universe. You don't have to die. And what does Peter, or what does Jesus say to Peter? He looks at him, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to my life. In that moment, he's like, whoa, right? Because here's what Jesus knew. That's so important. Bad advice is the work of the devil. Maybe like Sophocles said, it leads to death. It's one of the worst things ever. And just sidebar, by the way, if Peter is capable of bad advice, what's that say about all of us? We should all be very cautious about the advice that we give to others and make sure we're not just telling them what they want to hear, but maybe what God wants them to hear. Because sometimes it's easy to tell people like the nice things like chase comfort or do you or be happy. And we mean well, we mean well, but maybe God doesn't want them to be comfortable because God's trying to get them to grow. I'll tell you, going to the cross wasn't going to be very comfortable for Jesus, but God had a plan. It was called saving the world. So it needed to be done. So sometimes we think we mean well and we think we know best, but we don't. And it's just interesting to note that this toxic Jezebel happened to be someone in the church. She was a part of the congregation. So I'm not going to assume, I'm going to assume you're the one potentially could get influenced by Jezebel, but you don't want to be the Jezebel in the scenario, right? That's not good for anybody. But we see what kept Jesus razor focused on his mission is that he was able to love others and stand firm in his faith because he trusted and knew the love of his father over the love and the knowledge of advice that would come from others. He knew that God was for him and that God would do good even if it was hard. And so he trusted the love of his father over the advice of others. Now, the reality is we all have people in our lives. Some we want to have, some we don't, right? Some that we're kind of stuck with, family members or coworkers or whatever. But this is true regardless of who's in your life. We get to decide who influences who. You get to decide who influences your heart. You get to decide who influences your soul. You get to decide who you listen to. And so are you leading them towards Jesus by how you live and model your faith? Or are they leading you away from Jesus? 
And I'll tell you, if you don't know the answer to that question, you just know now the answer to that question. We get to decide what's the source of truth. Is it culture or is it his word? We get to decide which voice we listen to the loudest, Jesus or the Jezebels. And the reality is we all potentially have a Jezebel in our life, that toxic person who would encourage you to do wrong, maybe go too far, push the boundaries that will maybe encourage you to lie or to be selfish or to only want comfort or whatever. And, and listen, they may even mean well. Follow your heart and follow your truth like Tyler talked about last week. That's somebody who might mean well. It's just incredibly bad advice. It's incredibly dumb. And to follow them and to actually listen to these people would be a stumbling block to your faith. It's going to hijack the growth that you want to see. And worst case scenario, if you find yourself trapped, keep going down the road that they're leading you down. It could lead to a death, a death of a relationship, a death of a career, ultimately death of your soul. And so depending on who these people are in your life, and where you're at in your spiritual formation, there might be some people that you know you just got to get away from them. You have to minimize the amount of time or influence that you spend with them because you know they're toxic to you and your spiritual journey. That doesn't mean you don't love them, doesn't mean you don't pray for them, but it might mean you need to take a step back. And chances are right now that name that popped into your head is that person. Because you're smart people, you know, right? You know that there's probably somebody a potential Jezebel in your story that's going to hijack your faith if you keep listening to their voice over the voice of the Father. And I think the key factor to living firm in your faith, if you say, I want to I be firm and I want to stay on mission, is to let Jesus' voice be the loudest in your life. But for his voice to be the loudest, that means you have to trust his voice. It means you have to believe that he has your best interest in mind because you're going to listen to the voices loudest that you think have your best interest in mind. And if you don't believe he has your best interest in mind, you're going to compare his voice to someone else's. Especially, you know, it's easy to listen to God when the choice is easy, but it gets hard when the choice is hard, does it not? It was hard for Jesus. He had, a mo- he had moments too with his father, he'd go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he knew what he had to do, and go to the cross, but what pushed him to the cross was trusting his father. He had to trust him even when it was hard. And if we have that type of relationship where we trust God even when it's hard, we can know that regardless of the choice that we're making, we're doing the right thing. And just like he promised the church in Thyatira, there's a crown. There is a reward to those who are faithful. We will see Victory, whatever that is, there is always a reward to those who are faithful. And so as we wrap up, we're going to sing a song called Greater Things. And what I'm going to ask is that as you sing the song, make it your prayer that you begin to have the type of relationship with Jesus that you trust him for greater things in your life. And if you trust him for greater things in your life, then you will stay true to him. Because if you know his way is greater, then you won't want to settle for anything that's lesser. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give these moments to you as we wrap up and just sing this one song. Let this be our prayer of of faith and declaration to you that we trust you. We trust that you have good things for us. We don't want to get sidetracked by things that would lead us away from you, but we want to stay faithful and true. So let this song be our prayer. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.